My name is Christy and I serve here at Northwest. I am involved in the kids' ministry and I usually serve in the toddlers and the crawlers. My typical responsibilities in the classroom usually involve holding babies and getting them comfortable and playing with others and just familiar with their surroundings so that they would want to come back next week. I feel like consistency is key when you are serving and going to church in particular. So I serve in kids ministry, my kids go to kids ministry, and I feel like as long as you stick with it and stick with the pattern of going, they get used to it too. So I feel like as a parent, it's really important to bring your kid to feel comfortable, to watch them grow, to watch them have peers that they can grow up with, that they can do life with. I feel like the importance and the value behind serving at Kent's ministry is just being the hands and feet of Jesus because they want to see faces, they want to touch things, they want to be a part of things, and that's what we are for a lot of these babies, these toddlers even preschool kids. And even at a young age, I think that they still understand what's going on, what church is about. With my ministry, I see a lot of growth over the years. Kids go from crawlers to walkers to preschool, from one baby that was so loud, you can hear them down the hallway, to now that they're out there, hands up, praising God, and just having a really good time. That's just really awesome for me to see that. kids ministry team members. We are so thankful for you. I personally am so thankful for you with two kids and kids ministry just this last hour. If I haven't gotten to meet you yet, my name is Anne and I am so excited to be with you guys today. I get to lead our youth team around here and in so many ways, um, Traders Point truly has been home for our family. I was pregnant with our eight-year-old son, actually sitting right over there in this room here at Northwest um, when we first visited here. And that boy was only 10 weeks old when I first started serving on staff here. And so in so many ways, Traders Point has just been home for our family. And getting to serve here as the lead youth minister has truly been such an honor and a privilege over the last couple of years. Um, serving this generation is a privilege. And I'm not going to get up here and beg you. I'm just going to tell you that if you're not yet serving um, them, you are truly missing out. <laughs> like, I'm just going to tell you you're missing out. They are innovative, fun, hysterical, full of ideas. And yet at the same time, they have been through, honestly, some tremendous heartbreak and anxiety in the last couple years. And so I just can't think of a better way to spend your free time than discipling and coming alongside kids right now. And so if you're ready to do that or if you know that God is really calling you to consider that, I want to ask you to text SERVE to 87221 to jump in to serving in our kids' ministry. Well, I don't know um, what you're like amongst your friends and your family, but I'm the kind of person that can be easily influenced about the right subject by the right person. I am an expert in very, very few things, and so I know my limits. And if it gets the right person telling me about something with the right credentials and background and history and experience, I tend to listen to them. I don't know about you guys, but the older and older I get, the more I realize I don't know anything about anything. 
right? And so at the very top of this list um, is my lack of skill when it comes to bargain shopping or finding a good deal. And my friend and sister-in-law, Cheyenne, is this person for me that knows what to do to get some good deals. I'm the kind of person that would rather have like one outfit for the whole year. Some of you guys know what I'm saying. You're just like, hey kids, that's your shirt this year. That's all you got, you know? Um, but because I know my kids would like and need some more clothes, I rely on other people to tell me what to do. And so my sister-in-law, Cheyenne, is an expert at this. And a few years ago, we were on a family vacation and one um, night we're all sitting around on our couches and she's looking on her phone and she goes, oh, tomorrow is pay your age day at Build-A-Bear. We have to go. And I was like, Build-A-Bear. And in my mind, I'm like, I don't really care about Build-A-Bear, but I feel like her enthusiasm is making me want to go. And so we are like, okay, let's go, let's do it. And so we're like, all right, let's do it. And what you need to know is that um, you did have to take your kids to this day. And that is a really important detail. Um, some of you already know what day I'm talking about because you saw the headlines of the massive insanity that this day turned out being, and you thought to yourself, what kind of person stood in line for hours for a teddy bear? Me. I, apparently, am that kind of person. We show up to the mall about 10 minutes in, and yes, this is from my actual phone, not Google Images. There are probably a 1,000 people there. And uh, the brutal truth is that we stayed for six hours. Mm -hmm. Yep, six hours. And we left with no bear. <laughs> Um, Cheyenne's like confidence, just I was like, yes, I'm feeling this, we're getting it. But the thing is, is we ended up spending easily more money in that mall than we ever would have just walking into a Build-A-Bear on a normal day. We ended up getting our kids um, their own little prize for their patience. You can see how withered and tired they look from their weird day waiting for a Build-A-Bear. Um, but maybe you've never done something that dumb. Um, but my guess is that all of us know what it's like to be influenced. And I think what a lot of us have missed over these last couple years is that we are being influenced all the time. When I say influenced, I really also mean discipled. The original meaning of the word disciple is learner, and we are learning all the time. What we read, who we follow, the people that we admire, they all shape us. Pew Research in a very recent study just a few months ago concluded that 31% of American adults say they are online almost constantly. And 48% say they're online at least three hours a day outside of work. See, we're not just being discipled and formed when we're in our small group or when we're reading our Bible or when we're at church. We are being discipled all the time. So my question for you, as we get going here today, is who or what disciples you? Really, who leads you? What voices guide your life? What shapes your thoughts about yourself, about other people, about the world? And I ask you that because today we're going to be in a text, which is John chapter 10, that is really a leadership conversation 
where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, which were the religious leaders of that day, about the kind of leader that he is versus the kind of leader they are. John's gospel, what you should know, was written in a time of intense persecution for the church. And so he wanted to portray that Jesus is someone you can have confidence in no matter what. That he was someone you could put your hope in. And he's talking to his people here in John chapter 10, who he refers to as sheep, about who they're influenced by, who leads them, whose voices they recognize and follow. Now, usually when you hear someone teach about John chapter 10, you will usually probably hear them spend a lot of time talking to you about how dumb sheep are. And it is true, guys. Sheep are dumb. Um, And it's true that Jesus referred to us as sheep. You know, it's like it kind of hurts our feelings, Jesus, you know. Um, But I don't think I need to spend a lot of time talking to you about sheep because I think we all kind of get it. There was a story back in 2005 of an entire herd of Turkish sheep following one lone sheep off of a cliff. And they all followed him off, 1,600 of them. I know, it's dark. And what you should know is also the first 400 of them like cushioned the blow and they all died and the rest lived, but they all went off the cliff together. You guys are like, wow, this is starting out dark. Yeah, well, um, I just don't think I need to talk to us very much about how dumb sheep are, right? I think we all kind of get it. Today, I want to talk to you about how Jesus describes himself as the door and the shepherd. Because in this passage, Jesus compares himself to both, and I think us knowing him as both can change everything about how we live, how we follow, and how we love forever. So if you have your Bible with you or a Bible app, go ahead and turn to John chapter 10. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation, and we'll have it on the screen if you want to follow along there too. Let's go ahead and read what Jesus talks to the Pharisees. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Now, when a lot of us think about ourselves here in this passage, which is what we're prone to do when we read the Bible, um, is we think of ourselves maybe in these like beautiful green pastures, but uh, that's not really what Jesus is talking about here, and that's why context matters so much. The context here is that Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, ones who were obsessed with the law. 
And what you should know is that this would have been a politically loaded and charged environment. The scene would have been pretty intense. Because between the Old Testament and where we're at right here in John chapter 10 was 400 years of silence from God. And during this time in history, Alexander the Great conquered the world, took over where the Jewish community was, and his vision was to conquer people both through the military and through culture. He wanted Greek culture to take over everywhere. Why do I tell you this? Well, I tell you this because the Jewish people were looking for a Messiah to have a similar kind of vibe. They were looking for a Messiah to do a similar takeover, and Jesus looked nothing like they were expecting. There's so much that could be said about this, but the entire story of the Bible, what you need to know is a clash of kingdoms, of God constantly trying to invade our kingdom and of us constantly trying to push God out of the equation. And the Jewish people we're expecting Jesus coming as king and his kingdom to look like a sudden, dramatic, military takeover. And here, Jesus refers to himself as a shepherd. Not really the kind of power move they were expecting from the king of kings. So notice in the first verse how he talks about bringing in sheep to a sheepfold. I don't want to assume that you are experts in shepherding. Um, I certainly was not. And so just for some context about sheepfolds, in the wilderness, in the ancient Near East, if the sheep were exposed at night, they'd be very vulnerable. And this is what a sheepfold looked like. So shepherds would bring them into these sheepfolds to keep them safe. And you see here there's a doorway right here. And that's because Jesus is describing himself as the kind of shepherd who would sit in the door. It was common practice for shepherds to sit in the door to physically guard the sheep so that no one could get in. It would be common for intruders to try to get in at night, like wolves or even people. And Jesus is saying, I'm the kind of shepherd that sits in the door and cares for and nurtures the sheep so that they can flourish. But notice then later how Jesus mentions the constant presence of a thief and a robber. And look at the thief's goal in verse 10, to steal, to kill, and to destroy, which is what a thief does. Crosses legitimate boundaries, set up for our protection, to nourish us, and a thief crosses over with the intent to steal, kill, or destroy. And throughout the Bible and throughout our own human history, I observe two ways that I think the thief jumps over that wall for us. See, because I think that some of us might be like, well, well, yeah, but what does that have to do with me? Well, I actually think it has a lot to do with us. Because I think the enemy jumps over the wall for us through self-righteousness and rebellion. What I mean by that is when I say self-righteousness, remember here that Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and they saw themselves as the gold standard. They were the people to be. And because self-righteousness, which is thinking that you're better than you are, thinking that you're better than other people, trying to get other people to look like you, live like you, because you have it all, you don't need anyone else. Because that kind of thing can be our default mode. What started for them as a desire to serve God led them to a place where they were actually oppressing people. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, either because 
you've been wounded by a person like this, or if you're honest, you have tended to drift toward being a person like this. And Jesus is saying to the self-righteous, you are killing, you're stealing, and you're destroying people and yourselves. This isn't my way. And then rebellion. James 1, 13 through 15 describes rebellion this way. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful action, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Did you capture the pattern? He starts out with saying, he doesn't just go right to sin and spiritual death. He says, it starts with temptation. And you don't often know that temptation is going to lead you toward desire until you're there. And you don't often know that desire is going to lead you towards sin until you're there. And you don't often know that your sin is going to lead you to spiritual, emotional, relational death until you're there. And you wake up and you realize, I have bought tickets to the illusion that life could be satisfying apart from God. Because then that's where you're surrounded by loneliness, broken relationships, angst, internal anxiety, and Jesus is saying, I've got a different way. If you watched the fire Festival a couple of years ago, you saw this pattern play out perfectly. I have to admit, when I first watched this documentary, um, here it is, I was like totally in self-righteous mode, like mocking all these people. And then I was like, oh, I am these people. Um, so if you don't know, fire Festival was this festival several years ago that a guy named Billy MacArthur and Ja Rule, two guys, um, fooled a bunch of people, a bunch of young people, into buying tickets to this music festival that was supposed to be like the most amazing experience of their lives. And this is what was marketed toward them of like, look, lush, beautiful ocean and boats, and they were gonna be celebrities and the best bands you've ever heard of. And so these thousands of people spend thousands of dollars and they are like, my best life is coming yet. And they get off the plane and they come to this. They're like, what is this? And they were also told that they were going to have gourmet accommodations and the sleeping arrangements would be amazing and the food would be incredible. And this is the kind of food they got. And yeah, you're like, oh, gross. Yeah, like weird bread, weird cheese, like some melted lettuce. And people were furious and social media blew up because people were sold a lie. It's so easy to kind of mock people that fall into this, but yet we are the same way. We buy tickets until we find ourselves surrounded by the spiritual, emotional, relational death that temptation drew us to. But we often don't start here, we start here. But Jesus offers us a way to a rich and satisfying life himself. He wants to be our leader. And when he is truly our leader, our shepherd, three things happen that he shares in this passage. In verse 4, we see that we listen to his voice and we know his voice. Shepherds have an incredible relationship with their sheep. There was a story in the 1980s, a true story, um, about a bunch of officers in charge of a village in Palestine who confiscated all of the sheep in the town. 
And a woman who was a widow came to the officer who was guarding all the sheep. And this was her livelihood. She needed these sheep to survive. And so she comes to the officer and she says, please give me my sheep back. Give me my sheep back. And he says, okay, but what do you want me to do? Like, look behind me. These sheep are not marked. Like, what do you want me to say? Like, you're not going to get them back. And so he says to her, if you can get them back and they know who you are and you can somehow get them out, you can have them. And so her son comes and he brings his flute and he plays the sound that the sheep would have recognized as their own. And all of a sudden, all of her sheep are like, "Ah, that's our song, that's our song. And they follow her and her son out because in a sea of sheep, they were able to know and be known. The shepherd is around the sheep, and the sheep are around the shepherd. But the question is, do we listen to Jesus' voice enough? Do we know him enough to know his voice, to distinguish it from other people? Pastor and author Rich Velotis said it like this, if Jesus spent eight hours a day every day for three years with his disciples, he would have had 8,000 hours with them. And still they had gaps. And after all that time, they had things they didn't understand. So one hour a week on a Sunday is not enough. We need a life that abides in him with the support of other people. We all have voices in our heads that drive us to do what we do, that drive us to believe what we believe. Whether we admit it or not, we are discipled by someone. Not just what we believe about God, but about ourselves, our purpose. And some of you right now are on paths you hate because you think you have no other choice. Some of you right now have entered into relationships that you know are bad for you, but you've believed the lie that no one will ever love you. And so the first person to look twice, you latched onto, because even though you're unhappy, at least you think you're not alone. Some of you have believed the lie that your whole purpose is money and status and success and what your name can be, but deep down at night, before your head hits the pillow, you still feel empty. Some of you have believed that grudges and anger and frustration and bitterness, that is just in your DNA. There is no other way to live and you have settled into that way of life. And Jesus says to all of us, no, 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 no. Come back to me. Listen to my voice. I've got a better way for you to live. He does this for us personally because we also see in this passage in verse 3, he knows us by name and leads us. In the beginning of John, in John chapter 1, verse 28, the first words that Jesus says are, what do you want? What do you want? When David describes the Lord as our shepherd, he says, I shall not want. See, to the degree that you and I find ourselves longing and longing and longing and wanting and wanting and wanting are the same places we are refusing to let God detend to our souls. 
He does this for us personally in ways that I think are just astounding. There's another phrase in Psalm 23 that David uses that speaks to, I think, the shepherd's individual care for the sheep. And it's this little tiny phrase that all of us have probably heard, whether because we've been around in church or we've been just, we've heard it in culture. And that is, he anoints the sheep's head with oil. He anoints the sheep's head with oil. See, the shepherd would anoint the sheep's head with oil because in the summertime, there would be these little things called nasal flies. And I'm going to show you a picture of sheep so that you don't get mad at me for what I'm about to tell you. Because see, look how cute they are. Just look at the sheep, look at the sheep, okay? So there would be these little things called nasal flies, and they would swarm around the heads of the sheep, and they would get onto the ears, And without the oil, the flies would land on the mucus part, get in their ears, and the larva would turn into these worm-like things, make their way through the canal, land, and burrow into the brain. And the sheep would go insane. They would knock their head against trees, bang their heads against rocks. They would go so crazy that sometimes they would hurt themselves or die because they were going so insane. And isn't this just like God? In scripture, the enemy is called the father of lies, and those lies come in and around our heads, and they make their way into our ears, and they go up to our heads and our hearts, and they drive us so crazy we can't think about anything else. Except for us, those lies look like bitterness, shame, confusion, anger, guilt, impure thoughts, gossip, And they go in and they become a frustration, and this is what the enemy does. Steals, kills, destroys life. And God says, I am your shepherd. Let me lead you. I will protect you. I will lead you into a rich and satisfying life. But you have to make your soul's home in me. A few months ago, I got really sideways in a relationship. And I think all of us have been there over this last year, right? Relationships have just been a doozy (laughs) this last year. (laughs) And um, for a few days, I went into self-righteous mode. And some of you who are sinful like me know exactly what I'm talking about, where when someone wounds you, instead of like trying to see their side or like being like, okay, there's probably a reason for that, you go into like, This mode where you're like, oh, you want to hurt me? Okay, okay. I'm going to think of every bad thing you've ever done in my mind and exaggerate it, and you are the devil. You know, like, just as an example, um, never done that. But so for a few days, I went into this self-righteous mode where I was venting about this person to my husband. And at the end of those few days, the thing is, is that I didn't feel any better. While I made that person smaller in my own mind, my heart felt sick. I felt anxious and angry in this person's presence until I realized I can take this to God. I don't have to vent to anyone. I can take it to the Father who knows everything. So check this out. In some places... Shepherds would make long dips and they would immerse the sheep completely in the dip so that they were covered head to toe in oil. And the reason for that was when sheep would lock horns as they were prone to do in a fight, they would slip right off each other. 
Because the oil would make it so they couldn't hurt other sheep and they couldn't be hurt themselves. And isn't this just like God? That when we immerse him ourselves in his truth, we remember that every person is a person he died for with unsurpassable worth. And when I brought this relationship to the Lord, yes, unsurpassable worth, every person. But we don't often want to believe that. And so when I brought this relationship and this person to the Lord, I just heard him refer me back to what I knew in Scripture, that this was a person he died for. That Jesus commanded us to forgive 70 times 7. And at first I was like, no, like, really? And he was like, yes, really. That when we bring ourselves back to who Jesus is and the way he calls us to live, we change. And not only does he lead us personally, but he leads us unlike any other leader in history. And that he laid down his life so that we could have it to the full. Jesus keeps going and he contrasts himself to another kind of leader in verse 11. He continues, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. And here he's talking about you and me. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The father loves me because I sacrifice my life so that I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. See, the hired hand was someone who was called on to watch over the sheep at night, but really wasn't in it for the purpose of the sheep. And some of you are like, well, I don't really, I don't really know what that's like. We do know what that's like. Maybe you've had a job like this. Or you've been in a club or a sport like this where you didn't really care about that thing or those people or the mission, but what it could give you. Whether that was money or status or made you look better or feel better, that was the reason you were there. Or maybe you've had a boss like this or a coach or a teacher or a leader like this where you just sensed, I don't actually know that they care about me. I think they're in this for what this can give to them. I think I might be a stepping stone to what's better for them. And that's what the hired hand is. If you've ever watched National Geographic, you know exactly what this looks like. Because see, often the hired hand, when danger would come, the sheep would be thrown over the wall or the hired hand would run away so that the sheep would be devoured. And in National Geographic, for those of you who are super into it, I've watched about two episodes and that was enough for me. You know exactly what this looks like because let's face it, in all of these shows, and Shark Week was just last, last week, some animal is dying, right? 
<laughs> like some animal is going to die. I don't know why. My, my son was super into Shark Week, and he's like, do you want to watch Mommy? I was like, nope, 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 nope. Do not want to see innocent little fish being killed for four hours. Absolutely not. Um, I actually, as a sidebar, would love to see a like, suburban city um, the squirrel week or something where they're just like walking around and trying to find innocent acorns. I think that'd be cool. Some of you were like, no, death, awesome. And the rest of you were like, no, I've had enough, you know. Um, but just like that, that is what the hired hand will do. And this is what self-righteousness will do, whether it's ourselves or other people that we are around. The moment that we stop measuring up, we will be cut off. This is what rebellion and sin will do. It will lure you with the illusion that you'll be satisfied without God until you realize you are alone and empty. The hired hands represent those who care more about themselves than they do the sheep. And Jesus is saying, I am nothing like that. I am nothing like that. Notice five times in these verses, Jesus says, I lay down my life. I have a pastor friend who says, nobody killed Jesus. He laid down his life. See, when sin was coming to hunt us down, when hell was coming to hunt us down, Jesus threw himself over the wall so that he could be between our enemies so that we may escape and have eternal life, not just for eternity, but so that we could be free now. So that those bugs in our mind could be free now, that he could be our protector now. And that's why he says, I am the good shepherd. He willingly gave up his life. He's different than any other way. He won't use his power to destroy people or use them up to spit them out. He loves us so much, he died for us. Pastor John Tyson said it this way, under the care of the good shepherd, our souls will be restored. Under the shepherding of our culture, our souls will be destroyed. Over and over again, Jesus showed up on the scene and contrasted the practice of the leaders of that day with himself. And over and over again, it looked like love and service to other people. This is at the center of his vision for people who follow Jesus, that the Son of God did not come to be waited on, but to sacrifice himself. And this is the cross-like love that Jesus gave for us in laying down his life, and it's the same love he calls us to again and again and again. See, just a few chapters later in John chapter 13, Jesus says, this is how the world will know who I am. By the way that you love people. And do you want to know what love looks like? It looks like that. It looks like death to self. Jesus healed the sick, moved toward the broken and the poor, and it all came together in this moment where Jesus was exalted as king. Except for him, it was on a cross with a crown and a robe where he laid down his life. See, to Jesus, love is ultimately agreeing with God that every person has unsurpassable worth and is a person that he died for. And our central task when Jesus leads us is to agree with God about who he is, which looks like Jesus. To agree with God about who we are, 
that Jesus died for us. And to agree with God about other people. And that is that every single person has unsurpassable worth. There are no ifs, ands, or buts. It all hangs on loving God and other people. See, when Jesus leads us, we look like love. And some of you right now are probably like, well, love, like, give me something grittier, you know, give me something harder. And I would tell you, I think love is the hardest thing. I think love is like Christianity 101 and Christianity PhD, right? Because love is easy until someone really makes you mad. Love is easy until someone tests your limits. Love is easy until you have to set boundaries because of your love. Love is easy until it's not. And there's no way to live life agreeing with God and, others pe- and other people's worth if we are like the hired hands, using people for ourselves. And the core of Jesus' teaching is, be loved so that from that love, we can love everyone and the world will know me. See, the God of all power, who could have done anything is the same God who got down on the floor, wrapped a towel around his waist, and washed the disciples' feet, even the ones he knew were going to betray him and deny him. See, the God of all power who could have done anything is the kind of God who refers to himself as a shepherd, A leader who knew the sheep's pain, their cries, and their names. He's the God of the universe, and he knows you, and he knows me. And he says, I know. I know who you are. I know what you've been through. I know what family you grew up in. I know your deepest longings. I know, I know, I know. And I love you. I love you. I love you. Let me lead you. By Jesus' standards, it's this insane idea that we can transform the world not by conquering it, but by loving it. The real power lies in cross-like love towards all people, at all times, in all situations. So I just want to ask you this question. Is Jesus your shepherd? Are you led by Jesus? Do you listen to his voice and follow him? See, at the very beginning, I asked you who or what is discipling you, and maybe that's the first time you've ever even thought about that question. Maybe you thought you've been calling the shots that you're not formed by anything, but we are. Who leads you? And who else is there? in all of human history like Jesus, who sacrifices himself for us, who can mend our relationships and our deepest wounds, who can refresh our heads and our weary souls, who can be our closest friend when people let us down. So let me just ask you, what do you want right now? What do you want? What do you need? Do you need more peace? Do you need more joy? 
Do you need more freedom? Do you need wisdom? Do you need love? Because right here is where the power of all of that is found in Jesus as our shepherd. He didn't just come 2,000 years ago so that we could go to heaven, but so that we could be free and give that same love away here on earth and make earth look like heaven. Because when we're led by Jesus, who's in charge? Jesus. But our problem is, if we're honest, is that we want to lead ourselves. We want to forgive when we want to. We want to serve when we want to. We want to love when we want to. We want to do what we want to do so we're not being led by Jesus because the flesh believes a lie that when it is in control, that is good. And it's not good. To be led by the spirit he needs to lead, we need to be in the number two position. And so many of us have been spending our entire lives trying to be in the number one seat thinking that we're calling the shots and that that is good for us and it is not. We need to be led by Jesus. So let him lead you by putting yourself in a regular practice to hear from him, to know him through his word, by putting yourself in situations where you have to serve and die to yourself so that you can be more like him and experience him through the joy that is serving other people by being surrounded by people who can remind you of who he is and who follow him. I just want to close today by reading Psalm 23 over us. And I know that the danger of doing this is that some of you in this room have heard this so much you don't care. And I just want to ask you to take off the apathy to take off the veneer that says, I'm too good for this, I'm above this, and listen to how the Lord wants to lead your life, how he will care for you, how he will sit in the door and protect you. If you need to close your eyes so that you can focus or read along on the screen, whatever you need to do, I just wanna read this over us. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He takes me to lush pastures. He leads me to refreshing water. He restores my strength. He leads me down the right paths for the sake of his reputation. And even when I must walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me, God. Your rod and your staff reassure me. You prepare a feast before me in plain sight of my enemies. You refresh my head with oil. My cup is completely full. And surely your goodness and faithfulness will pursue me all my days and I will live in the Lord's house for the rest of my life, Jesus. You are the kind of shepherd who leaves the 99 to find the one. You find us, God. God, today I pray if some of us in this room have been following other voices or voices are too loud, we can't even hear you, that you would silence them and that your voice would be the loudest voice in our lives. God, I pray for those of us who've had bugs living in our minds the last year, the last week, even just this morning, 
And then we would hand those to you and say, God, refresh my mind, refresh my heart, refresh my soul, refresh my relationships. And God, may we submit our lives to you. May we not fight for the number one seat, but may we be a people who believe that following is better than leading and that following your voice is the way to a rich and satisfying life. It's in your name. Amen.